This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 73 of the Equalizer podcast. Dan Lawletta and Chelsea Bush with you this week to recap a very eventful week and weekend in women's soccer, we started off with the announcement of Kate Markgraf as the general manager of the U.S. women's national team, and we closed it out with the women's ICC final and Lyon flipping the script on the North Carolina Courage from a year ago with a one to nothing win to claim the ICC. And since that's the most recent thing that happened, Chelsea, let's talk about that game a little bit. Uh, I've got a lot to say about it. I picked it up in about the 17th minute after getting back from the Sky Blue game at Red Bull Arena, which we'll get to in a little bit. But thoroughly enjoyable goal, great game. Never really thought North Carolina was ever going to tie it, even though they were pushing late. And uh, that's my very quick synopsis on the game. I thought this was the most enjoyable game of soccer I'd probably watched since the World Cup, to be honest. Um I thought it was, it was you know, for, for Lyon being in preseason, I mean, they looked pretty good because they're Lyon. And, but I, I wondered because I started thinking about this because Ada Huggerberg was, was not really as involved in the game as, you know, they probably wanted. And I realized that she, I think, was the only player that Lyon f- fielded that wasn't at the World Cup. So maybe she's not quite, a, yes, they're in preseason, but all these other players had just come off this, this tournament that they were geared up for. They're so not normal, like, preseason form if that makes sense yeah definitely um but yeah i i enjoyed it i thought both teams looked good i thought it was good end-to-end action i like um contrasting the different kind of styles i thought that leon early on was, was kind of maybe unsurprised by the physical or surprised rather by the physicality and then the pressure the north carolina brought but as always i really really enjoy watching European teams and, and the beauty of the first touch. Cause it's something that American soccer lacks so Absolutely. badly. Definitely. And uh, yeah, I, and Merrill's goal was just, Oh my gosh, that was such a good goal. Like it was going to take something special. I thought to, to get on the scoreboard. Uh, and that's what it was. Um, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And you can look at that goal and say that she kind of snuck into that space and there were no courage players to close her down, but it still took a great finish to beat LeBay, who I thought had a really nice game, in fact. I thought LeBay was really good in this game. And, uh, yeah, they beat her on that goal. And, uh, you know, you and I always talk kind of privately about how every time I see Marajan play for Germany, I'm underwhelmed, and here she is playing for Lyon, really where I think she's made her name, and what do you know, she scores the game-winning goal. And really happy for her, too, because she had a tough World Cup with the injury. And remember, a year ago, it was uncertain whether she would even ever play again because she got sick. So it was really nice to see her back and making an impact club level or otherwise. Yeah, for sure. She's been one of my favorite players to watch since she was like a teenager, um, just because of what she can do. And I, I've, I, you know, as you said, where I'm in agreement that she's 
when it comes to really big games, particularly for Germany, she doesn't always show up. But I thought she had a really a really good match. I thought her and uh, Mbak were, were really, really good for, for Lyon. And it shouldn't be uh, overlooked also that Lyon is playing for a new coach. So maybe that makes them a little bit more aggressive in preseason, trying to get things figured out. But it also makes it that much more difficult to be clicking since they've literally just been with a new coach now for, what, two weeks probably? Yeah, exactly. And one thing I also wanted to point out was I was watching and I was kind of surprised that Kristen Hamilton has been starting over Jessica, Jessica McDonald. Um, obviously, that's rewarding for Hamilton's you know current form. But I'm watching this game and, and I'm thinking, if I'm the next U.S. Women's National Team coach, this is the game I watch to judge whether Hamilton should get a call. Because personally... I think she's had a very great season. Um, she probably deserves a call-up based on that. I don't think she's she's going to maintain this for year after year, and I don't think she really has what it takes to uh, to really be successful on the international level. But I thought this was a game that you would want to watch to kind of judge her against competition other than the NWSL. And having watched it, do you call her up? Yeah, I, I think, like I said, I think, based on the season, and, and I thought her movement in this game was pretty good. Um, I think she deserves a look. I'm just not placing my bets on the fact that she's going to be able to impress enough in camp to get much more than a look. I, I think I agree on both counts. I am more of a let's call up everybody. If you are decent, let's call you up. And I've said this many times on this podcast in writing. Number one, you never know when a player, even a late developing player, is just going to take off. Number two, you never know what information that player is going to take back with them that can help a different player develop their game that eventually gets called into your program. I just think the more players you call in, the better off your program is. I probably agree that I don't see Kristen Hamilton necessarily as a factor, but in the notion that, you know, players 24 through 35 or whatever, you know, are just as important and, you know, in, in the build-up to the World Cup as a 23 that you take, I can definitely see her being maybe one of those players. Yeah, and it also, I think, you know, under, underscores the fact that the club four matters. NWSL is a feeding ground for the league and should matter. And, and yeah, I, I fully agree. I think that the the pool should be thrown as open as, as they can make it. And if you play well in the league, you should be rewarded with a look. Whether that goes beyond that is, is a totally different matter. One one area that go ahead. I was gonna say they have enough camps throughout the year to make that fully possible. Yeah, absolutely, and especially after the Olympics, when they have two years where they're not really playing for anything specific. Uh, one area that I'll disagree with though is I'm not surprised that she's still starting because a, I think Paul Riley's a guy that goes with the form player, and b, I think it's a great luxury that he has that they're in a pretty good spot in the standings, and he's got a player that's good enough that he doesn't have to force feed all of his national team players back onto the field. And he admitted to me um, on a broadcast call, actually, before one of the games that I called of his, that the players kind of came back and had a little bit of a World Cup hangover, and he was kind of understanding about it. I think he said this actually before the game um, when they were back out with the national team, and I think that's to be expected. I think it's just a great luxury to have a Kristen Hamilton and you can have Jess McDonald to come back, even though McDonald barely played in the World Cup. So you'd think she'd be one that would want to get back out there. 
but it's still an emotionally draining experience. I just think it's great that he doesn't have to put them all back out there. Yeah, for sure. And how about having Jess McDonald on your bench to come? Yeah, not bad. In the seventy-fifth minute, right? Not bad. And that's kind of how she started out, right? For him, was as a super sub, and then kind yeah. of worked her way into into the starting lineup. Now, um, while I was watching this game, though, I agree it was a fantastic game. Um, a little bit of a probably in a different mental place, having been at Red Bull Arena, which that was not a good soccer game, but it was a great soccer event. So probably in a little bit different mental place than you in watching this game, but it also made me a little sad because great game, but I want to see these two teams play when they both really want to get after it. And I'm not suggesting they didn't both play to win or really played to get after it, but let's face it. This was a friendly. There were six subs. There was a U.S. soccer certified referee in the middle of a game between, you know, with an American team in it. The teams were kind of handpicked or invited or whatever the, process was it made me really want to come up with a format for a fair equitable and hopefully intense women's global club competition and we got the neil morris article about how the icc really wants to grow and portland was going to come in but they couldn't do it because providence park was under construction and they couldn't fit it in but i want this to be for real and i you know i couldn't help but watch it and think you know what this is really cool but it's not quite for real yeah, I mean, to be fair, the the men's ICC is, is I think, even less real. Than, oh, I, I than agree. But, but the men I, have much better global club competitions. That's what I, I was kind of thinking. I was like, what would it take to get basically like a club World Cup? I think a fortunate part of that is that if you at least if you take the men's as a model, they're all drawn from the Champions League of um, throughout the world, the various confederation Champions Leagues, which, you know, we don't have besides UEFA. So I don't know what it would take to to pull together something like that, but yeah, it would it would be fun. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great to see? Because I love I love seeing like the contrasting styles. It's something I always look for. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see, you know, uh, Wolfsburg or Bayern Munich and Juventus and um, you know uh, Rosengard or or you know just pull all these different different teams together. And so many of these players we only know from the World Cup or Euros or whatever. And it's nice to see them in their club environment, see how they differ, how they play off each other. Well, Marajan being, you know, probably the best example yep. as earlier. Yeah, I mean, look, the men's ICC is basically where somebody figured out how to monetize preseason for these teams because American fans eat up these big time club teams coming over here to play in the U.S. no matter what is on the line. So that's fantastic. And it, it was a great crowd for both nights in North Carolina for this. And, and I'm not even suggesting that this isn't the proper way to get to the place that I want to get. But the other problem is, and we see this in the men's CONCACAF, is that the Mexican season runs fall to spring. The MLS season runs spring to fall. So how do you do it fairly where the teams are somewhat both in you know, played in because the MLS teams in the spring in that competition, you know, they're probably not as good to begin with, but they're up against it because they're basically, I mean, sometimes that's literally their first competitive match of the season. So that doesn't really work. But I'm thinking like maybe if you can rush the Champions League a little bit in Europe, maybe you can do this in May. Maybe there's some sort of a qualifying event throughout Europe. Maybe bring in a South American team or an African team. Maybe make it, you know, 
over two stages where you have, you know, maybe they play late April and then come back in early June, but there's got to be a way to make this the real deal. Yeah. And they were talking on the broadcast about how they really want to expand it to eight teams next year. And I, I kind of was trying to think of, figure out how the logistics of that would work because most of the, you know, a lot of the European uh, leagues are in, in preseason, but not all of them. Some of them do have seasons that run um, more concurrently with, with the U S season. And I started thinking, what if you wanted to get like Asian teams, like, you know, Australia runs completely opposite and half their players are also on U.S. teams. And yeah, yeah the logistics yeah. Are, are kind of messy just because women's soccer is still, women's club soccer particularly, is still such developing and in such a stage of, of constant changing and year after year and, and flux and that sort of thing. But it, it, yeah, I would like it to be, I would like to see more teams for sure. And yeah, be, be something that they really want. Just more than just kind of fun bragging rights, but like something they, they really, really want. Something that becomes prestigious. They're also talking 32. Uh, I, I mean, you can't do 32 <laughs> yeah. and actually actually have a winner because, I mean, it's hard enough for the courage to get these games in. Yeah, I think that was a quote from Paul Riley. I think he was just being a little bit facetious there. I hope so anyway. But yeah, I think a, you know, maybe even like 12 is something a little bit more realistic. All right. Um, you know, again, watching this game, I actually didn't, I thought it. I thought the courage might win the game as I was watching it, but once Lyon took the lead, I don't know. I felt like this game was a bit of a microcosm of the courage season. They're really good, but they're just a tick off where they were in 2018. Which I mean, look, <laughs> they're not going to be knocked for that. It's one of the best seasons ever in U.S. club soccer. But I thought they were just a little off. Um, I don't know. I I kind of I could have seen them at the end tying it up when they were throwing everything forward, putting a lot of balls into the box just because it's something that the North Carolina does. They kind of, they tend to snatch things. Um, but, you know, credit to Leon's defense. Like I said, I thought Mbak had a really good game. Buhati was was Buhati. Mostly good. Some came out sometimes I thought she shouldn't have. Uh, but still fairly hard to get past. They can, just, we they talk, Go ahead. can we talk about Buhati for a second? <laughs> what team wouldn't love to have her on their team? I mean, she plays. She's it's crazy the way she plays, but it's really measured and calculated. I mean, I think she's really a top three or four keeper on this planet. I think she's a great keeper. I just think every once in a while she has this decision. I mean, she doesn't get punished for it nearly as often as I think she probably should. She gets away with it. Um, but she loves. I mean, she she loves to come out of her box. I think the way yeah. she plays, it makes it look worse when she gets burned. That is true. I mean, it's it's a high risk, high reward situation. It's it's sort of like Manuel with Germany and Bayern Munich. Um, she's kind of the fifth defender. You know, she plays with her feet a lot. They 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 play a very high line and rely on her to cover a lot of that ground. And she does that. That's her style, and it fits her really well. And you know, if you ask, like, say, Alyssa Nair to play like that, it wouldn't go well. Well, they um, sort of so, tried that in a very small yeah, way, and, and it did, did not go. Yeah, it did not exactly. go well. Exactly. So I think that they, for both France, and, I think even more for Leon than France, um, her style suits the team style. Now, maybe she built it around, or maybe they built it around her. I'm not sure which, or maybe it just was one of those lucky things that came together. What's amazing um, about it, though, is they, you know, we talk about this all the time, too. They don't get good games 
So for her to go from playing all these games that are 6 nothing, 5 nothing, maybe a lazy 2 nothing, and then all of a sudden it's a game like this or the PSG games or the back end of the Champions League and all of a sudden do that and still be successful, that's, I think is real impressive. Yeah, I also think that she's made a very small handful of, of gaps that are particularly funny. Um, Definitely. In a good form. And it becomes something like, like Chris Wondolowski skying a ball. <laughs> um, you know, it's he made up for it time and again, but it just takes one. Yep, absolutely. All right, any closing ICC thoughts? Um, I did watch the other earlier game. I know you were uh, at RBA, so you didn't probably get to watch Man City and Atletico oh, Madrid. Highlights looked exciting. It was it was kind of crazy. It was uh, one of those things. I thought Madrid uh, was just smothering Man City early on. Man City was sitting very deep. Madrid was just passing, not, not circles, passing triangles around them, really. Um, Man City takes the lead in transition, which is, I thought at that point, that's all they're going to get. Second half, Madrid comes out very well, puts two up, and I'm like, that is game over. There is no way. I, I cannot believe Man City came from behind to win that. Um, talk about making good substitutions, for sure. But uh, I was I found, even though they won, I, to be honest, I found myself a little bit unimpressed with Man City. Given the number of, given the level of talent on that team, not just English national team members, but national team players for other countries, I for them to sit back and just kind of take it, I don't know. I I just they should be better, and and sometimes I think that about England too. So curious as to how that one reflects the other, but you know, it, it was it was yeah, it was an exciting game, especially in, in like I said in the second half for them to come behind and win it in stoppage time. I mean, I didn't get to see the games on Thursday, so it was my only opportunity to watch those two teams. And it's it's always nice to see teams that you don't get to see very often. And certainly nice to have four games and all four hanging in the balance in second half stoppage time and a couple of them actually having the result changed in second half stoppage time. So that is our quick recap of the 2019 Women's International Champions Cup. Lyon flipping the script on the North Carolina Courage, a 1-0 win, same as the Courage did over Lyon in 2018. Ironically, with all their national team players missing, because that was on the same night as a U.S. friendly in the uh, Tournament of Nations. So let's uh, come back. The NWSL hit Red Bull Arena for the first time. We'll talk about that in a moment. Episode 73 of the Equalizer podcast with Dan and Chelsea. And a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast. The better ratings and better reviews that you give to us, the more great content we can give to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. And Chelsea, I've been to an awful lot of Sky Blue games in the 11 years that they have been, or I guess 10 years because they took one year off that they've been playing soccer, and very few, if any, games um, trump Sunday in terms of feeling like really important soccer matches. Uh, it was not the best aesthetic soccer game. It was hot. It was the middle of the day. Uh, I think the rain has some issues. We know where Sky Blue is on the table, though they've played a lot better since the coaching change. But this was everything that you hope that Sky Blue could be. There were 9,415 people at the game at Red Bull Arena. Their previous NWSL record was 5,500 and something. Uh, their first ever game that they played in WPS at a baseball stadium drew in the low 
six thousands. So this crushed all those previous records. Cloud9, their supporters grew. First of all, their membership looked like it about tripled or quadrupled for this one. So I guess they either got people to sit with them or people who hadn't come in a long time were there. The noise was great. The acoustics in Red Bull Arena are fabulous. The other two times I've been there as press, it was, you were at one of these games. Uh, it was a She Believes Cup game. I think it was 18 degrees with 40-mile-per-hour winds, and that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. I can't remember everything froze. And then the next year, yeah, the next year was like 40 degrees with like a soft breeze. And the people who hadn't been there the previous year were telling, oh, it's so cold. And I'm saying, no, it's just not cold. Today was the other extreme. It was hot, but it was just really nice to see Sky Blue get a moment where they were a big deal. And then when they announced the crowd in North Carolina, which I think was 82 something, which is a really nice crowd. I think it's their biggest of the year, but I'm not sure. It must be nice for Sky Blue management to be sitting home. They're not going to say this publicly and say, you know what, that's a good number for the courage to play Lyon. We beat them straight up at Red Bull Arena for a regular NWSL game. Now, they're going to go back to your sack at least for the next two. Maybe the last one goes back to Red Bull, but uh, just a really, really nice moment for Sky blue. What did uh, what did it look like on television? Which, ironically enough, or you know, nicely enough, they got on ESPN News today. No, it sounded great. It looked great. The crowd looked full. Um, you could see you know, their signs. You could hear. I think at one point the the kind of band they had going up started playing that tequila song, which was a lot of fun. Um, it 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 was great. You know, you're, they've had good crowds since really since the World Cup. They've they've done yep. well. And you just think about where they were a year ago when they were pulling in like a thousand people a game, and to go from that was that like six 90, months. That was like two months well, ago. Well, true, yeah. But to go from that to ninety four hundred is just and without. I mean, let's be frank. Not a ton has changed on the field. No, a little bit, but not a ton. But just to go from that is just it's amazing and, and major major kudos to the salespeople and and the front office really as a whole. And getting that game there, advertising it, getting the crowd, you know, ticket sales out, everything they did to do. I, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed. I, I have a friend who had been to plenty of games at Eurocycle, although not in a little while, and he went to this game and he just told me it was night and day from what it used to be. Yeah, I took my family to the game. They come sporadically to games and uh, they were first time for them at Red Bull and they were they were impressed with it. I mean, it really you've been there, you know, it's not the best location but at least you can get there through public transportation you can also see it from the jersey turnpike so it's not like rutgers yursac where you can barely see it when you're a minute and a half away but you can also get you know you can take the path train there but once you're in there that place is that's a fabulous place to watch a soccer game yeah the stadium is is great the location the surrounding location um you know i probably wouldn't want to walk by myself after dark but yeah, and that's kind of an exaggeration. But the uh, the stadium itself is, is great. Um, that press box is interesting. The kind of open air, middle of the stands type thing. Yeah, it's um, real interesting when it's eighteen degrees outside. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's a really nice stadium, and I would I would love to see just kind of like Washington with Audi Field. I would love to see a more long term partnership. Yeah, and Washington's going to go down to Audi Field, and uh, it looks like they're going to set another attendance record when they do that but it really was just su such a nice thing 
um, to see. And like you said, not much has changed on the field. And I asked Elise LaHue, who is the interim general manager for Sky Blue, how much in talking to the people buying tickets, how much do the wins and losses seem to matter? And she said at this point, it doesn't seem like wins and losses is at the top of the list of people who are buying tickets. And that sort of goes with the early days of Major League Soccer, if you want to make that comparison, where I felt like attendance was kind of what it was going to be. And now that the Latin League has matured a little bit, the teams that struggle to win tend to maybe struggle at the gate, and the teams that start to win maybe do a little bit better at the gate. And I would love for NWSL to get there, but for Sky Blue's sake, it's kind of nice that they're not there yet. But yeah, aren't... I... Go ahead. Well, actually, I want to go back to what you said. But I... If interim general manager does not become permanent, they're nuts, first of all. I want to say that. Um, Fair enough. So I, th- I think she's done a great job. Second of all, um, I like the attendance doesn't the, the win loss doesn't seem to factor too much into attendance because I want fans who are going to come back week after week. You're go you're always you, the teams that do better are more often than not going to get better attendance than teams that do poorly if if you look out of a sort of a if you graph it over a period of time because no one wants to see the team lose that you know but you want to see fans that are fans of the team not. Not the team's record. That well, I want I want to see a higher baseline of people who will go no matter what, but I want to see teams capable of generating enough buzz in their market to get more people to go when they're winning or when they're when they have Megan Rapino or whoever or when there's something hot going on with the team. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I want them to just be able to create a buzz where you go into the office and they say, Hey, how about that sky blue team? Interestingly, Allie long gave a very lengthy, um, post game media, uh, scrum session. And she said that she's tired of going on road trips and bumping into people and that the, and that people like in the hotels around the league say, really, there's a women's pro league. Like she did. She just, she's tired. Like it's year seven. Now league three, year seven, she's tired of, people not knowing about it. And I think that I, 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 it's nice to hear that a player, somewhat prominent player is actually aware of that. Cause I wonder if sometimes they get caught up in their own bubble of being in it, that they don't necessarily see what goes on outside. Well, particularly that a national team player has noticed it because I think sometimes that they tend to get the two teams and, and the buzz about them and the knowledge kind of mixed up. Yeah, that's a good call. And both her and Carly Lloyd said, look, the national team has done their part. Like, they can't do anything more, the national team, than win the World Cup and get all this attention. But the league needs more attention and more awareness. And someone also asked her about, I forget what the exact question was, but she said, oh, it was about the, it was about ESPN um, showing games, I think, um, for NWSL games and she, and about, you know, the knowledge of NWSL. And she said, were there any commercials on for the league during the world cup? And she said, I'm legitimately asking that question. I think she knew the answer was no, but she was saying like, how would anybody know about the league if nobody talks about the league? And it was nice, even on the ICC broadcast, again, ESPN showing ICC, they've got the league rights, but they did a whole segment with Lori Lindsay at halftime about the league and Lori Lindsay calls a lot of the Yahoo stream. So that's a nice crossover thing. 
Yeah, one thing I've noticed since ESPN has kind of gotten this deal um, post-World Cup is that now they show the the ticker at the bottom shows the scores, for Nintendo, every, which is a little nice touch. And every now and again on their homepage, if you scroll down far enough, there's a little NWSL section. It's a small thing, nice touch, as you said, but it's a lot different than other times they've been involved yeah. in the league. So hopefully that comes back. There's also the worldwide... Uh, broadcast rights go to ESPN, so I guess it's ESPN, um, and I don't know anything about it because we're domestic, but I guess if you're outside the U.S. now, you use ESPN to get to the game, so hopefully that doesn't uh, make anybody's life more difficult. It was used to streaming it directly from the site. Um, thoughts on the game, though? Kind of a dull game. Maybe the heat was a factor. Uh, you know, Sky Blue played on Wednesday. The rain are just kind of trying to scrape by with all the injuries they have another one to shake groom today it looks like that'll be a little while broken and displaced rib which just sounds awful but uh, what did you think of the match itself yeah that first of all that just to have another injury is just it's it's amazing their injury list is just they could fill the whole other team just off the injury list a good one too. Um, yeah <laughs> um it, it was not the greatest game it was you could obviously tell that it was hot and that teams had played, you know, the Sky Blue had played midweek. And I think that the, the final score is probably fair for, for how they played. Uh, yeah, neither team looked looked great. Um, I'm, I'm still keeping the rain in my sort of grouping of the teams that could get that fourth playoff spot. I think they're still in the mix. But I kind of think that's a reflection of how some... Some teams are just kind of worse and then maybe they're that good, if that makes sense. Well, is there anybody else besides Utah, though? For that fourth spot, because the spirit are neutral at best. Yeah, the spirit. I would have said that I w- initially would have included the spirit in that as maybe up to a month or so ago, but I think that they're they're losing ground. Um, yeah, it may just come down to them and the rules. If I look at them face to face, I think that the rules are a better team, a better soccer team. But the rain have a way of, and Vlaco has a way of just pulling it just enough out they they you know they, they beat portland not too long ago they they pull it together just enough sometimes to get what they need i thought last weekend when they were playing the royals they were at home they were the better team in the first half they had momentum it was 1-1 if they win that game then they go what eight points up on the royals and you can almost start doing your playoff publicity push with the four teams royals were the Far better team in the second half. Kristen Press is playing by far the best she's ever played at the club level. And all of a sudden, the Royals are right in that mix. But I don't see anybody else. I don't see the Spirit. I think the Dash are a bit of a disappointment. Orlando's a mess. Sky Blue's a lot better, but too far down, even if they run off some wins. So it's rain and run. And I believe they play once more. It would be a lot of fun to have that match really matter for the fourth spot yeah hopefully it comes down to the wire that's always much more exciting and uh just to circle it back to sky blue uh they definitely much better since they moved on from denise reddy um that's not i'm not going too far there much better or better um all right maybe not much better, better but distinctively better they're obviously better i don't know if i would go so far as to say much better they're still not a great team um but it's one of those situations where they, they look like they know what they're supposed to do and they look like they're they're at least enjoying themselves. 
body language, you know, says a lot. Um, at this point, it kind of, to me, just comes down, not offense, no offense to anybody, but they just need a little bit more talent. They do need more talent. Um, it was interesting that Casey Murphy, I thought, made a pretty bad blunder on the sky blue goal on Sunday afternoon because uh, Murphy was the sky blue draft pick last season, which was a really poor pick or a really poor read on what she intended to do because she was already in France and they were going to lose her rights at the end of the season. And how ironic that she would then come back in and be the visiting uh, goalkeeper in their debut at Red Bull Arena. But she actually gifted them that goal. And I think she's been kind of spotty uh, the last couple of games. But um, yeah, Sky Blue needs uh, an influx of talent. And look, they've got Mason Ashley sitting out there. But again, they've got to get that wrapped up by the end of the uh, season or they become discovery players. And uh, that's not good. If that's the case. All right, let's um, let's uh, wrap up this segment. We will come back, maybe some more NWSL talk, maybe a little Kate Markraft talk, and uh, maybe your questions that uh, we will answer as well. Chelsea and Dan on episode 73 of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment, episode 73, Equalizer podcast. Dan Laletta with Chelsea Bush, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week. And uh, as you know, the attendance numbers have been going down like flies. And Sky Blue set one on Sunday, 9,415 in their debut match at Red Bull Arena. That is not a doubleheader. That is not assisted by any other game. That is strictly Sky Blue FC selling 9,415 tickets. And their previous record, by the way, their all-time franchise record was April 5th, 2009. First game they ever played in WPS at TD Bank Park, which is a baseball stadium. 6,053. They lost that game 2-0 to the L.A. Soul on two goals by Marta. Their previous NWSL record was August 22nd, 2015 against the Portland Thorns, 5,547. That was at Yersak. And the one right under that was another WPS game, August 5th, 2009, 5,455. That game was Christy Pierce, then Ram Pollen's first game as player coach. And six games later, they had one of the most bizarre sports titles of all time, winning in 2009 WPS. So 9,415 for Sky Blue. Uh, they joined the Rain and the Thorns as clubs this season who and the Red Stars who have set um, single-game attendance records. Washington Spirit are expected to join them a little bit later on this season. And uh, for more on uh, women's soccer statistics and uh, growing every day, fbref.com. That's fb for footballref.com. And that is the NWSL Stat of the Week presented by Sports Reference. All right, Chelsea, enough of my uh, babbling through that. Uh, let's go to some questions. John Forsyth has been busy peppering us with questions since last week, and these came in just a little bit too late for the pod, but they're good ones. Uh, so let's just run through them. Rain played two games at home, beat Portland, but then lose to Utah. Anything we can draw from this and analyzing their chances for making the playoffs? I think we kind of touched on this. Uh, Utah, I think, really was desperate in the second half in that game, and it showed but I just think the rain have too many injuries. And uh, the fact, I think how good Jess Fishlock is, a case we didn't know, maybe showing itself even more when she's not there. Anything else to add to that? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered that. All right. I love PRO, which is the Professional Referees 
organization to put NWSL games at same level as MLS games, but are there game day perks or facilities those refs get on MLS games that NWSL wouldn't be able to provide for them? Or is it just sexism preventing pro from making NWSL games the same level? It's actually a good question. Um, why? But I do know that MLS games pay better and are more prestigious. Uh, it's a good question. Why? Probably not a good answer either, is there? No, but I mean, like the broadcast and everything else, you get what you pay for, unfortunately. <clears throat> um, a lot of players are hitting 100 games this season. Care to reflect on NWSL lasting seven seasons and where it is in contrast to your thoughts back in 2013. All right, this is a great question. And Sarah Killian got to 100 games on Sunday at Red Bull Arena. They made a big deal about it. They also honored Estelle Johnson, who got there a couple of weeks ago for Sky Blue. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's not a big deal anymore, but we're way into the double digits of players getting to 100 games. I was thrilled when it started up two years ago. But I'll be honest, in 2013, I wasn't sure we'd be here right now. And I think it's great. And I think 100 is going to be small potatoes soon. I think, I think 250 is going to be the number to aim for at some point. Yeah, it's, gosh, I think about 2013. And it was just like, well, here we go again. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, you know, we were, weren't that far removed from WPS ending. And it was, it was hard, at least for me, to be hopeful after seeing those those two leagues, especially the second one, being a little bit older, seeing that fall apart, um, yeah, they've come up, they've come a long way. There's a long way to go. Um, I'm still sad that Boston is no longer part of the the league. That's that's a hard one. Uh, gosh, 250 caps, just that's insane. That's gonna happen. It is. It is gonna happen. It's a little more than 10 years. If you play 24 games, that's 10, 10 and a half years about if you don't miss any games. So you play 12, 13 seasons. Maybe the schedule goes a little bit higher from 24, but it'll happen. Yeah. All right. Sky Blue have to move to a new field next season. In your opinion, what are the chances they find a suitable New Jersey replacement? Do you foresee them relocating to Philly or New York City area like Seattle was forced to and going from Seattle to Tacoma. Um, first of all, I want to make clear that New Jersey, where they are now to Philadelphia is a, little, is a lot different than Seattle to Tacoma, which are pretty close. New York City is a little bit different. I don't rule out New York City, but they would kind of have to rebrand, even though Sky Blue itself doesn't um, have any ge geographic connotation. I actually think they should have ge geography in their name, uh, they've dropped the We Are NJ hashtag they had a few years ago, which kind of locked them in to New Jersey. Um, I do feel like they now have the right people in place that they should be able to find something. But I think they need to because I really don't think they should be back at your sack. And I don't think they're going to be even allowed to be back at your sack. How interesting that this question came in right before they played a game at uh, Red Bull Arena, huh? Absolutely. All right, John, appreciate the questions. Um, in 2009, I did. Sans, am I the only one who was tired of people drooling over Olympique Lyon? It's not like their owner doesn't have very deep pockets that can afford to cherry pick a team and then play in a non-competitive league. They're good, but not and a bag of chips good. Uh, the only thing I'll say about this, and you watch a lot more European club 
than I do, is it's not easy to get all these different players on the same page and playing as well as they do and as consistently as they do, not only pummeling the French League, but winning the Champions League now three years in a row. It's not that easy. Yeah, I would say the French League is is one thing, um, but by the time you get to the latter stages of the Champions League, you're talking about Chelsea, Wolfsburg, etc. These are these are really good squads. So to win that continually, that is impressive. We just saw them beat our reigning champions. Um, they didn't demolish them, thank goodness. But they they are a good squad. Am I tired of them winning everything? Sure, I would love to see a new Champions League uh, winner. But that just kind of is kind of like Portland continually setting the attendance standard. It's not bad for them. It makes everyone else need to do better. And I don't love the way European club soccer is set up, men or women, but the women is a lot more skewed. Women are a lot more skewed than the men. But, hey, players are going to keep going there. They're going to keep taking them on, and they're going to have incredible depth and whatnot. But if somebody wants to break it, then beat them, I guess. Uh, last one, Gallum Cardner. Why do you think Canada soccer doesn't give the women's team many games after major tournaments? It just seems odd after a great Olympics in 2016 and does again now. There are FIFA breaks, and I doubt nobody wants to play Canada, meaning that Canada could get games pretty easily. Great question. I don't have an answer, but I completely agree. And I think that is the, I think that's what is separating Canada from jumping into the top four or five and being able to stay there because they've got the talent, but they do not play enough. For sure. And that's, I think, one of the reasons, too, that they, you know, they, they've seemed to have some good luck at the Olympics, but they've never really done a whole lot of something great at any World Cup. Um, and why some people, myself included, have sometimes called them overrated. They, they just need to be playing together more often. There's there's really no excuse for them to play like two friendlies a year or however many. The, the Algarve is great, but you need to do more besides that. Makes it all the more impressive that Sinclair is about to break Abby Wambach's all-time international goal-scoring record. Um, but to me, more so than after the Great Olympics in 16, why did they want to host the Women's World Cup in 2015 only to then not show the proper type of support for their team moving forward off of that? That's the odd one to me. That's a very good question. All right, a couple of minutes to go. Kate Markgraf, new general manager of the U.S. women's national team. A um, couple of things here. Everybody seems to like the move. I don't have any reason to dislike it, but to be honest, I don't have any reason to like it either. It's not like she's got experience in any job like this. It's not like we even know what the job is. And I also thought that while I understand having somebody to oversee the two general managers, I think you can get into too many layers, and I thought it was completely tone-deaf of U.S. soccer in the midst of this whole equal pay battle to promote Ernie Stewart to become Kate Markgraf's boss on the day we all thought Kate Markgraf was getting the same job Ernie Stewart had. Uh, yes. Yes to all of that. <laughs> I have no idea what Ernie Stewart is going to be doing because I have no idea what the general managers do besides hire and presumably fire the national team coaches um, working in a very bureaucratic company myself. I, I don't understand needing these layers upon layers of management. Um, just, and, and to be quite frankly honest, what did Ernie Stewart do in as a general manager of the men's team that said, Hey, here's his promotion. 
what, what how did you how do you earn that right and it's not like he it's not like he hasn't done well but he hasn't had enough time to do well he hasn't really done anything yeah you you made a very uninspiring hire um after a year of of jerking around yes hasn't really impressed me and that's not all on him to be to clarify but as far as kate markgraf goes um it's hard to say yeah if she qualified because we don't really know what the job does so what are the qualifications um, but she's she's stayed tuned in to women's soccer since she quit playing, including the NWSL, which I love. Yeah, 100%. I, I do appreciate that. I think she's got a good mind for soccer. Um, I think I think she'll do well. But again, it's hard to say that qualifying that by saying do well and, and what exactly. And yeah. now, do you think? I think we've already talked about this, but. You know, she said what Jill Ellis said, which was, do I want to hire a woman to be the head coach? Of course I do. do you, how important do you think that is, both for the program and how important is it to you personally, if you don't mind answering that part of it? Um, sure. Let's see. I, in my heart of hearts, I want the team to win. So I want them to have the best coach out there. I would like for that best coach to be a woman because I would like to think that women are getting the same opportunities and that is getting all the, the education and the experience at lower levels to then make them a suitable candidate for this level and to do very, very well with it. Um, am I going to be disappointed if it's a man? Honestly, my level of disappointment or appreciation for the new coach will not, gender will not factor into that 100%. I, I can say that with complete honesty. I want it to be a woman but I want it to be a good woman. And if it's not, if frankly, if it's Laura Harvey, I'm going to be disappointed. Well, I think that Harvey's candidacy gets increased tenfold. If there's any inkling at all that they feel like they need to hire a woman, because I just don't know See, how, I, what other I, women are out there. Exactly. Um, I kind of think that maybe, my own personal theory is that hiring Mark Graff makes it a little bit easier for them to hire a man. It would be if they hired, if they promoted Andy Stewart and they hired a man as a general manager and then they hired a male coach. Yeah, that would be a really bad look. They're also hiring a coach that may have almost no chance for success in the sense that you're following up on a coach that just won two World Cups in a row. So maybe this is the coach where you take a dip and then the coach after that. I mean, I don't think you ever hire anybody with that thought in mind, but I do think yeah, it's going to be this, a real challenging job. Yeah. This is very much could be just like a one year gig. But I said, I wouldn't shock me if they hire an interim to get through the Olympics and then see what happens. I, I don't know if I would, I mean, I think Claire and I talked about this last week or what's the definition of, of interim. Is it just a one year contract or is it, I mean, because oh, that's, that's how that's long the, the interim men's coach was. Or do you just say, this is the coach, but kind of like similar to what Ellis did. She was given a very brief, short contract and said, we'll talk after you win. That's fair. Uh, but anyway, I, what I think that Mark Graff can do here, though, is that he, I, I think you've got to hire the coach that you think can win in the short term. But I think where she can leave her mark here is by getting down into the bottom levels and making sure that there are enough females coming up the ranks so that in however many years it takes for those coaches to get to the top level, that we will eventually get to a point where we have the women's job come open 
and we're not having this conversation because there are women there. Now, that's not something that is going to get the headlines. It's going to be a big headline one way or another, whether there's new coaches, a man or a woman. But I think that's where Kate Markgraf can quietly and subtly have a bigger impact than just hiring a woman now because she feels like she has to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that we don't have just, you know, is it one now female coach in the NWSL? Um, Yep. One female candidate for really, you know, for the job. That we know. I mean, Amanda Cromwell, maybe. Played for the team, successful at UCLA. I Coached a lot of those players. I don't know anything about her other than those. Or Erica Dombach. I would love you to Attributes, yep. She's another one. And I don't know if they're candidates or not. But I don't know. Anyway, any closing thoughts for the week? Um, now that the GM is in place, I would very much hope we hear who the new coach is sooner rather than later. Like, I want to know who it is before Joe leaves. Like I, okay. want, I, want I think it that's now. a fair request. My, my theory here, interim for November games, permanent coach for January camp. That, that's the timeline I believe we, we will see. Okay, I'm going to be honestly disappointed if it's that I would like to have. I want them to take their time, obviously, but this was not – I know Jill said she had been kind of made up her decision around, like, last December. She, she had to have informed them at some point before we found out, and I think they've they've had – some time and I don't want it to be dragged out. So well and even if she didn't inform them, I mean it didn't surprise anybody. Exactly. Somebody in that building had to have had a conversation with somebody else at some point, even over a few drinks, and said, Hey, by the way, if Jill leaves, give me seven names that we might think about. Yeah, I just I think you have a very short turnaround between now and the Olympics. Um and if, if this coach wants to make any sort of of waves, they, they need all the time in the world. On the levels thing where, you know, you got Ernie Stewart now and then there'll be GMs answering to him. I do like the Carlos Cordero thing of let's let soccer experts make the soccer decisions. But you can also have too many soccer experts making the soccer decisions, especially if there's people that don't have enough of a job that they feel like they need to do start doing other people's jobs because too many layers uh, it just bothers me a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And I think if I'm the coach, the more people that are kind of over me, breathing down my neck, the, the harder it makes my job. Yeah, which is why they made the right call not uh, announcing a general manager, um, at least until after the World Cup, because they had a coach in there who had already won the World Cup and it wasn't necessary. All right. It's a proven fact that you and I can talk soccer forever um, without stopping. So we're going to stop ourselves Uh because this should be the end of the podcast. So uh, thanks again for uh, for sitting in with me. We'll catch you next week. This has uh, been episode 73 of the Equalizer podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.